Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. The focus today is last generation theology. My guest is Dr. Woodrow Widden. Dr. Widden is a theologian, professor emeritus at Andrews University. He holds the PhD degree from Drew University in historical theology. His service has included pastoral life as well as his lengthy academic career. In that process, he's authored five books, numerous scholarly and popular articles in theology, and he was a main contributor to the recent book, God's Character and the Last Generation, which presents a biblical response from leading theologians in the Adventist faith movement to the concept of last generation theology. Welcome, Dr. Whitten. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Whitten, you'll have to forgive me. I know you so well by the nickname we greet one another with, Woody. So forgive me, I'll speak of you as Woody from time to time. Dr. Whitten, we are talking about last generation theology. Let's, let's start with a definition. Share with us a definition and a few moments of explanation regarding just what last generation theology is. To the best of my ability, last generation theology originated in Adventist history, particularly with the writings and with the preaching of E.J. Wagoner of Jones and Wagoner fame. It could be that he picked up these ideas while he was in Britain because there were certain British theologians that predated Wagner in this sort of thinking. What they claim is they claim not only great biblical support, but they claim great spirit of prophecy support. In fact, most of their support allegedly comes from the writings of Ellen White. Well, the gist of the idea is, is that in the great controversy, and here they are essentially correct, Satan laid down the challenge that it was unfair of God to require perfect obedience of his people. They claimed that he claimed that it was impossible to fully obey the law. Well, the basic gist of this is, is that God in the great controversy is saying it can be done and he will be depending upon the last generation of Christian believers and especially with focus on Seventh-day Adventist and their truth message under the symbolism of the three angels messages of Revelation 14. So anyhow, and what they claim is, is that unless God gets this perfect last generation, he will be defeated in the great controversy if this last generation doesn't perfectly reproduce the character of Christ over against the challenge of the devil, that perfection is impossible. And that's the basic, the basic challenge. Uh, the most outstanding person in the 20th century who promoted these ideas was Dr. Herbert Douglas, longtime teacher, professor, uh, writer, a very gifted writer. And he was not a combative sort of personality. He was a very gracious person. And so, and he was also a very strong mentor to my wife who strongly communicated these ideas 
as they were strained through the teaching and mentoring of Herbert Douglas to her, and I bit deeply into this for a while. But then I began to have doubts about it. And so that's just a little bit of background on this. Well, we believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity. It took us a while to finally get to it, but we, in, in our history, in our early history, there were a lot of people in what we call American Restorationism. In other words, these people were seeking to restore the early apostolic simplicity of both the teachings, the organization, and the practices of the apostolic church of the first century. And many of them called themselves New Testament Christians, but they were mainly referred to as and saw themselves as restoring the primitive simplicity of the early church and its forms and its teachings and its outreach. So uh, that gives you a little idea of the background. The theology has a very strong emphasis upon the atonement and a very strong emphasis upon the great controversy theme. The great controversy theme can in essence be stated this way, that Satan challenged the Godhead by saying, you have required perfect obedience on the part of your created beings, angels and particularly human beings. And whatever likenesses of human beings there may be out on other worlds throughout the vast realms of the universe. So anyhow, uh, the, the basic theology is, is that Satan claimed that this was not fair of God to do. And he was able to win one third of the heavenly angels along with himself to his basic challenge in the great controversy. And then there was war in heaven and Satan and his minions were cast out and they were allowed to have access to all the worlds of the universe where there were created intelligences. And it was at this world, the earth, that he was able to succeed with our primal parents, Adam and Eve, and he was able to tempt them into distrust of the Heavenly Father and the distrust of the creative and sustaining power of God's love as manifest through Jesus Christ working through the Holy Spirit. So anyhow, uh, the basic one of the basic reasons that we think that Jesus came to this world was for Jesus to first of all demonstrate that obedience is possible. And he demonstrated this by faith in the outpouring of the Father's love via the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the basic thesis of those of us who have had serious but respectful misgivings about last generation theology is that it tends to downgrade the triumph of Jesus Christ who has won the battle in principle and that battle was sealed with his death, burial, resurrection, and is now being ministered subsequent to his resurrection and ascension 
all the benefits of his redeeming, saving work are being communicated to whosoever will through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit and the holy angels. So that, that's kind of the, the gist of it in, in the background. Yeah. Now, our Adventist movement that you and I share, Dr. Whitten, and colleagues who have explored last generation theology was born uh, in that context in history of a focus on the return of Jesus, as is implicit in the name of our movement, the Seventh-day Adventist faith. We look forward to the Second Advent. Does that expectation and looking for the second advent have anything to do does it relate in any way to the formation of last generation theology absolutely what 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 the advocates of last generation theology claim is that god is waiting with longing desire for his likeness to be perfectly reproduced in his people and when it is reproduced then this will defeat satan and it will empower them to go forth and triumphantly proclaim the message to the whole world. And that message will be proclaimed not only by their verbal pronouncements, but also through their godly lives. So it has a component that we all find very legitimate in many, many respects. And that is, is that our godliness is one of the greatest arguments in favor of the gospel and is one of the things that really wins people to the gospel. Now, yeah, Woody, it seems to me, now you understand that my area of specialty is in practice, in ministry, and sharing the message of the gospel. So mission and the church become very, very important to me. Last generation theology through my pastoral life, administrative life, and even in the academic environment then has, has sometimes in its encounter with me led me to think that the person is focused on their own self as uh, achieving or warranting the grace of God. It, it, it's, it leads to kind of a self-focus instead of dependence on Christ and focus on Christ. And am I off base in that response? No, no, you're not. If, if you really believe that God is waiting for a last generation of his professed remnant Seventh-day Adventist people, then that puts a lot of pressure on you to get the job done. And therefore it has led to a very strong emphasis upon those aspects of Christ's humanity in which he has sought to identify with us to produce righteousness, converting, transforming, forgiving grace. So it puts a lot of burden to say that unless God gets this final witness of his professed remnant Seventh-day Adventist people, that just puts a lot of pressure on us. Now, I don't mind the pressure of being a servant of God. I don't mind that at all. And I believe that his grace is sufficient. But to say that we must live in such a way that God is dependent upon us to win the great controversy is just, at least in my humble estimation, over the top. 
Jesus has already won the victory in principle. Okay. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, Wagner, the dialogue regarding last generation theology in the Adventist faith context moves us back to those early decades and some pioneer leaders. And it reminds me that I'm sometimes confronted with people who say, you have to honor historic Adventism as though last generation theology is historic Adventism settled and clear. Is, is that the case? Is that really true? Well, what you have is you have two basic groups. One is the 1888 study committee, which is based right here in Berrien Springs. This is where their headquarters is. Even though their founders, uh, the late E.J., uh, the late uh, uh, R.J. Whelan and Donald K. Short have passed off the scene. They're, they passed away. Uh, particularly Whelan was a very effective advocate for this. But many so-called historic Adventist groups who have basically uh, looked to the more recent leadership of Herb Douglas and certain other well-known so-called historic people have also greatly emphasized the same thing that the 1888 study committee people have emphasized. And that is, is that through a clear understanding of righteousness by faith, including all of its aspects, but especially the aspect of transforming grace that will create a perfect last generation that will meet the demands that enable God to point to them and say, there are those people, they have done it, I win in them. Case closed, mm -hmm. then he comes after all of the great last climactic events and the great controversy is basically completed as far as the victory of his church and his people on this earth. Now, in the forming decades of the Adventist faith, is, is there evidence of countering that idea? Uh, I, I hear your explanation, and you, you've examined and taught these things many times, that the, the idea came up as a piece of who we were in the beginning. Um, how, how universal did that understanding become in the early days of Adventist history? Uh, I cannot find it in early Adventist history. It does not really come to the fore until you get to basically the work of Jones and Wagner. Now, there were antecedents, okay. but they really don't amount to much. The, the key figures that really put this together were Jones and Wagner. But there were antecedents in Great Britain, okay? There were the so-called Advent Movement in Great Britain. And uh, there was one key figure, and right now my brain is failing me. I uh, can't think of his name right now, but he was the leader of what we call British Adventism which is to be clearly distinguished 
from Seventh-day Adventism. Okay. Seventh-day Adventism that most of us know had its rootage in early 19th century New England, and then it spread uh, particularly to the Midwest and Michigan with its headquarters and great uh, organizational manifestation in Battle Creek and what we now call the Worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church, which has become one of the world's both numerically and as far as influence is concerned, widespread movements in the Protestant world. Yeah. Now, Woody, um, how does the concept of human perfection uh, factor into this? You, you've talked about that, and human perfection is often seen as contrary to dependence on Christ. So would you say a little bit more about that? There, there truly is a legitimate doctrine of biblical perfection. And there is truly, as far as some of the evidence concerned, Ellen White was not shy about using that term and talking in detail about these matters. And I have traced this in basically two books that came out of my, my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation, and that's Ellen White on salvation and Ellen White on the humanity of Christ. And in the book, Ellen White on salvation, I devoted a whole brief, rather succinctly stated chapter to this issue of the humanity of Christ and this last generation theology uh, understanding of her Christology and her eschatology. So that, that just gives you a little bit of background on, on this, that uh, it, it was basically Jones and Wagner that were the big shapers of this theology. Human perfection. Uh, you know, it's a conundrum in my thinking to be totally dependent on Jesus and growing day by day, moment by moment in his grace, in the kabod, the glory of God. As Paul says, from one degree of glory to another, it's like you are growing in faith. Uh, I almost hesitate to use the word holiness because of how it has been marred by some false theology, but we are growing in the kabod by degree after degree after degree. But that it seems to me that never ends. Yeah, that's right. And this, this is really, really true. It will not be until glorification that we will be able to say, I am perfect. And even then we will be able to say it because we're glorified and will be uh, essentially cured. We will be cured of willful premeditated sin. So anyhow, uh, uh, again, the doctrine of Christian perfection has a biblical, a strong biblical component and a strong Ellen White component. I am comfortable with using the word perfection, but I am not comfortable with using the word sinless perfection, this side of glorification on the part of the people of God. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, when you speak of glorification, in in my thinking, that is 
an experience given to us by God at his return. That's exactly. We are redeemed. That's right. It is the cap sheaf of salvation. In other words, yeah. it is the final finishing touch that God will put upon us when he bestows immortality upon those who are in Christ by grace through faith, okay? And have manifested it through the changes that come about because of their experience of forgiveness and his transforming power that he grants through the assistance of the Holy Spirit and working in sync with the holy angels and with God's other servants on the earth, namely all who minister in the name of Christ, be they full-time, part-time, or lay, or whatever. Everybody is called to minister and to be a force for God who names the name of Christ. Now, uh, Dr. Whitten, how does this concept of the remnant uh, come into this? Well, what they want to do is they want to define the last generation theology is the real remnant will be those of God's last day people who are symbolized by the 144,000 that will perfectly obey the law of God and therefore will vindicate God through their gracious sinless obedience okay so that's the key thing here and that and god is waiting for this group of people to effectively draw upon the mighty latter rain power of the holy spirit to get the job done of witnessing to the world okay how how about this concept that is spoken of of the close of probation? How does that fit in the last generation theology idea? Well, I think last generation theology, along with most Seventh-day Adventists, believe that there will finally come a time when every case will be settled either for or against Christ. And this will be the final result of the latter rain outpouring power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, then everybody is going to be precipitated into two camps. That is, those who are all in for Jesus and those who are all in for self and the devil. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it is soon after that that the, you'll have a great shaking Everything will be separated out. Then there will be a terrible time of trouble. And at the last moment, when everything seems to be collapsing around the people of God, Christ intervenes with his second coming to deliver his people. And that's when the righteous dead are resurrected, the righteous living are glorified and transformed, never to face death. So anyway, that's yeah. the long and the short of it. Yes. Uh, I've heard some proponents of last generation theology go so far as to teach that we cease from all sinful acts prior to the close of probation. Uh, that seems to place a lot of focus on ourselves. I don't, I don't particularly have any problem with that statement as such. But if people take it that they must then start all focusing upon themselves rather than focusing upon Christ, 
then we got some bad trouble. Mm -hmm. And if you think that the whole thing depends upon you to get God off the hook of the charges of the devil, that obedience is impossible, that's a terribly discouraging burden to share. But I would like to say to people that Christ has already gotten the victory. Uh, he has already vindicated God on that count. In fact, I think that was part of his witness when he cried out on Calvary, it is finished. Because the greatest temptation ever to come in the history of the universe was for him not to go through that cross because he could not see through the portals of the tomb. There just isn't any greater temptation than that one. Mm -hmm. To put it as bluntly as I know how to put it, that was the moment of hell for Christ. Mm. When he died, he could not see through the portals of the tomb. Okay? Yes. All right. Now, uh, Woody, uh, most of our listeners, when we use a term spirit prophecy, understand we're talking about a gifted person in a cluster of leadership that helped form the Adventist faith movement. Among the many very devoted Christian scholars, people uh, dedicated to Christ, uh, ready to sacrifice time, talent, and finance to launch uh, a movement that stirred their souls was a woman, Ellen G. White, who you and I and and in sharing in the Adventist faith movement, embrace the special gift she received to be a gift inspired to write and share counsel, Ellen G. White. And when last generation theology is spoken of, some say it is clear she advocated last generation theology and others with as much fervency say, no, that is picking, choosing, and selecting from her comments. How do you approach uh, that thought? What I did is I decided as I was doing my dissertation at Drew University in 19th century studies, I picked Ellen White's soteriology, in other words, her understanding of salvation as my thesis topic, as and I tried to trace it developmentally. And what I found out was, is that Ellen White has a very powerful doctrine of sin. She has, and it's a classic Christian doctrine of sin. And you might well expect something like this would happen with a strong emphasis upon the perpetuity of the authority of the Ten Commandments and the biblical definition of sin, as sin is the transgression of the law. But she also had a very classic Christian doctrine espoused by many, many evangelical Protestants and the longer tradition of Roman Catholic theology of great human depravity, which is often associated with the great early church, early medieval period theologian Augustine of Hippo. He was originally from North Africa in Hippo in North Africa. But Augustine becomes one of the great shaping theologians of Christianity. And I'm just simply saying, Ellen White drunk deeply at this well of sin as not just simply acts, 
that go contrary to the Ten Commandments, but it includes the heart, the thoughts, and that we human beings are born depraved. We are born to one degree or another twisted, but everybody is born sinful and, if you please, lost. And they need a Savior. And so it was the work of Christ to do the work in his incarnate state of developing a perfect character that enabled him to make a sinless atoning offering for sin so that we might be forgiven and through his example and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through his intercession, we might be transformed. Now the big arguments come here when we get into just how perfect is perfect. You have to be if you're going to be living when Christ comes. And I simply say, you need to be perfect enough to be constantly, explicitly and implicitly trusting Christ every step of the way that he is empowering you and that he is reckoning you to be something that in and of yourself you are not completely. But that will be because we have completely lost faith in ourselves and have been driven back to complete faith in Christ. And so it'll be those that are ready to meet Christ at his coming will be those that have been in the habit, the daily habit, of following Christ and making his will and his way and his forgiveness the foundation and power of our lives. So anyhow, you, yeah. you, you just got a very strong element of all the major aspects of what we call salvation thinking and teaching in the writings of Ellen White. Okay, okay. Now, in my experience, uh, last generation theology, when embraced, uh, has had an impact on our sense of mission. Um, it, it has led us to focus on self, to focus on ourselves as withdrawn and distinct from engaging relationally with others who need to come to know Christ. So I've had it I, I've had the experience of seeing it negative to mission. Do you want to comment on that at all, Woody? Yes, I would like to comment on that. And I would like to say to all who would uh, hear, bear me out on this, make your own study of Ellen White. And by the way, in my two books, and I'm not here to hawk my books, but I want you to know they're out there and you can probably borrow one from somebody I have got a lot of statements on soteriology. In fact, I went through, I just ransacked the writings of Ellen White, both published and unpublished, for everything I could get my hands on regarding salvation and regarding Christology, and not just Christology, but also Trinitarian thinking, in other words, the Godhead. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I find is I find that when Ellen White is taken seriously, the Bible is taken more seriously. And when the Bible is taken more seriously, we will be driven to a clearer understanding of what the dynamics of saving grace via the ministry of the Trinity are in our lives and in the body of Christ. And I
yeah. say this, the church is the body of Christ. It is, if you please, the gymnasium where the people of God are practicing their skills to live for the glory of God for not only in time, but for all eternity. And we shouldn't be spending all of our time in the gymnasium. We should be spending it out in the world, helping and blessing people as God's providences lead us into ministry and the exercise of our spiritual gifting. <clears throat> it has always seemed to me that if we keep at the center of our understanding of church, that Jesus came for the sake of others. He came for the sake of the world uh, to bring salvation. The church doesn't exist for its own sake. The church exists for the sake of others. And what would lead us to focus on our perfection as though we are the ones who issue the judgment upon God leads us away from caring about others. That's been my experience anyway. And, and it's been my experience with uh, groups of people that have really majored in this last generation theology. I have always found them to be wonderfully sincere, but sincerely misguided when it comes to their understanding of Christology, the Trinity, often the Trinity, although many people who advocate last generation theology are Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. But when we are real experts, both theoretically and experientially, in the dynamics of salvation and are clear on our understanding of the doctrine of the atonement as informed by the great dynamics of righteousness by faith in a Trinitarian way, we will be busy about ministry and we will be yeah. pleading with the Holy Spirit to help us to be a blessing to everybody inside and outside of the professed body of Christ that we come into contact with providentially, okay? Yeah. And, and, and this, I think, makes life very exciting and wonderful, particularly as we grow in grace and, and as we grow in righteousness, we will become more sensitive and loving and lovable. What our prophetess says, if we could be kind and tender and loving and lovable, there would be 100 one to Christ where there's now one. I mean, that's just a powerful practical statement. What counsel do you bring to pastors, uh, teachers, uh, local church, congregation leaders, organizations or preachers come to mind who focus, who make their hobby horse, if you will, last generation theology. What counsel do you have to pastors and teachers regarding the writings and the DVDs? Do, uh, sh should there be a word of caution? What do you think? Yes, there should be a word of caution. And I say there ought to be a word of caution about everybody, including you yes. who have been privileged with pulpits and uh, with media and so on. And I, I'm very glad to have had the privilege and responsibility of writing five books, most of them having to do with uh, either the Trinity or with salvation issues. Those have been, and Christology especially, uh, have, have been 
areas that I've had a profound interest in and have tried to use my skills to do this. But yes. we're all in this thing together and we all need each other. Yes. It is our privilege to be ministering according to what our spiritual gifts are <clears throat> within the context of the body of Christ, within the context of our spheres of influence in the church and in the world. In other words, the whole world is our target of ministry. Now, uh, just in the minute we have left as we come to a conclusion here, uh, what would you offer to, as a word of encouragement, best approach to a faithful Seventh-day Adventist Christian regarding last generation theology? I would say approach it with great care. Be very kind to anybody that you might run up upon that advocates this sort of theology. They are usually wonderfully sincere, earnest people. They mean no evil. I would not dare impute bad motives to them. Now, of course, as in every sector of the church, you're going to have bad eggs no matter where you go because we're all fighting with sin that we're born with, sin that we've acquired, sin that we're struggling with, and so on. So I would say just let's be on the lookout that we're majoring in majors, not in minors, okay? And mm -hmm. the majors of theology, and let's make sure we're clear on the atonement, let's make sure that we're clear on the Trinity, let's make sure that we are clear on the dynamics of Christ our righteousness or the beloved themes of righteousness by faith and balanced. Yes. Well, Dr. Widden, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I appreciate it. It's been my privilege and may the people of God be blessed. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will make up for our unavoidable deficiencies. <laughs> yes, that's good counsel. And listener, thank you for joining in this conversation. This is Skip Bell. Thank you. And until next time, listener, keep thinking, keep believing.